Broadcasting from the Hip Hop Weekly Studios, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja, and he, he speaks so eloquently, don't you agree? <laughs> Do you hear the velvet in it? Okay, I'm sorry. Sometimes I get a little carried away, but his tone is just so... Anyway, he's Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward, and you are tuned in to Civic Cipher. Yes, sir. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, stick around because we got a lot to talk about per usual. Um, we are going to be spending some time talking about a Brooklyn neighborhood that policed itself. Is Brooklyn in the house? Without a doubt. Okay. That's Listen, what I thought. Um, we talk a lot on this show about the defund the police movement. Um, we've renamed it a couple of times, but effectively what we've described it as re a reallocation of police resources and a rethinking of what policing means. And so now we have a little bit more data. Um, and we're going to talk about it. Some has been positive, some has been um, challenging, but um, today we have a, a positive case and we'd love to share the uh, details of that with you. Also, um, just in time for Father's Day, we're gonna be talking about black fatherhood, specifically the myths surrounding absent black fathers in this country, which a heck of a story to tell and then perpetuate isn't it yeah yeah and so you know you may have grown up thinking well black people just need to stay in the homes and raise their kids well as it turns out black people are better at doing that than everybody else black men specifically and the data supports that in short you can check that out uh via the cdc or just a, a quick google search and you just find out that black fathers are doing better than everyone else but we're going to talk about it of course in more detail on the show and of course many many other things that you'd like to hear about including the largest deportation in u.s history which affected our mexican-american brothers and sisters so stay tuned for that but first and foremost like we always do at this time we're going to discuss some ebony excellence how does that sound cute shall we we shall so this is my favorite uh, brought to you by Major Threads for the finest in uh, menswear. Check out MajorThreads.com. This comes from XXL Magazine. Tupac Shakur. I'll say it. The best rapper ever. The greatest rapper of all time. You guys can't see me, but I definitely just threw up the West Side yeah. one time yeah. for the late great Tupac Amaru Shakur. Listen, and if you want to debate me, I'm ready. I'll stay ready for that one. But um, Tupac Shakur has finally been honored with a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. On June 7th, he was posthumously, he posthumously joined the increasing list of rappers turned actors who've been enshrined on the world famous Hollywood Walk of Fame. Seems like a it uh, would have already happened by now, but no. I would have thought it was overdue, yeah. except I assumed it had already happened. Yeah, same. Anyway, uh, the ceremony was led by Los Angeles radio legend and our good friend, Big Boy. Big Boy. Um, and Tupac's sister uh, accepted the award um, on his behalf. It was the 2758 star. Uh, and there were speeches from Jamal Joseph. And uh, he was the one who directed Dear Mama, Saga of Afini and Tupac Shakur. Um, and let's see, his newly minted star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is located. Just, just a quick correction. What's Alan that? Hughes directed that. Oh, okay. Jamal Thanks Joseph is a writer and activist yeah. who was also present. And shout to Mo Prane, Tupac's brother. Perfect. As well. Thank you for that. Yeah, I misread that. Okay. Um, and if you want to check out the star, it's located uh, at 6212 Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And now he joins um, other hip hop notables, such as DJ Khaled, Missy Elliott, and the late Nipsey Hussle. Um, and of course, he's got lots of 
musical work, but film work as well. The star is well deserved. So shout out to Tupac. That is Ebony Excellence. If I ever seen it. So that made me very happy. Indeed. All right. So <sighs> defunding the police. Man, a great idea that was challenged, which I'm not mad at. Great ideas need to be challenged, right? Um, it was, I think we both, both Q and I here on the show, we both have had wished that it had been marketed better. I just wish they had a think tank. Yeah. You know what I mean? Spitballed some ideas on yeah. how should we phrase this? Mm -hmm. Right. Because of course you can't explain everything in a catchphrase. Mm -hmm. But defund the police sounded so it's alarming. Yeah. yeah. It 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 triggered an almost negative response, even in people that supported the idea. Like mm -hmm. we've had uh, Rams and I have had opportunities to have that conversation in long form. And at the end of that conversation, looked at people who were like, oh, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Mm -hmm. Even those people heard defund the police and were like, oh, right. If we want to defund, we don't want to not have right. policing. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I want to say. I feel like the people who. May have come up with this idea. Maybe they were being intentional about having something so alarming because for better or worse, it got everybody talking Okay, for better or worse that that that's true. But remember, at that time, we needed to have conversations. The police were killing people. That's I think I think the focus group would, sure, would sure, have helped us sure. not have I'm something not, that is such a negative. Immediate response, even though it started conversations, both. In a lot of cases, both sides of the argument were coming to the table feeling the same. That's yeah. not what you want. Yeah, that's not the type of conversation. But the fact of the matter is that having it take center stage meant that at least some people started to conceptualize what it means to rethink policing. Some people, I'll say it again, some people started to conceptualize what it means to rethink policing. Operation, so that's a baby step. Operation Rethink Policing probably would have been a better <laughs> sure, phrase. Sure, sure. But maybe it might not have had the same gripping effect on the populace. Now this sure. is this is me, this is me maybe making excuses or maybe trying to, you know, um imagine what the folks who came out with this idea might have been trying to do. I don't know. I don't want to profess to know. But the fact is that this idea rose up in late 2020 about defunding the police. And that led to a rethinking of what policing means, what policing should encompass. Remember, police were responding to things that didn't necessarily have anything to do with public safety. Still. Yeah. And, and, and they were responding to bona fide medical health related emergencies um With weapons drawn you see what i'm saying and you you said this before on the show uh to the man with the hammer everything is a nail mm -hmm. some is there some sort of like uh saying or or anecdote or something like that some sort of uh i, I forget the name of it but 
um, I think it encompasses kind of the feeling when it comes to at least a, a, enough police to where we can identify there's a problem. Sure, not every police officer is bang, bang, shoot them up. Let me get my gun first. I re recognize and see that immediately. But there is a problem. And the people that turned a blind eye to this problem are the people often enough where the problem doesn't affect them or their communities. It doesn't show up at their doorstep, so it's not happening. Right. Or it's not important. So let's say if, um, even if we just take a small number, 1% of the police is, they're, they're out of pocket, out of line, and 99% are good. It represents a high number. But listen, let, just hear me out, because it's simple for the listeners to follow. 1% of the police are bad. They're pulling out guns or mistreating people, police brutality, not playing by the rules, doing illegal activity, you name it, right? If, because the consequences are so dire for police mistakes, and indeed, police end up making up for it, and taxpayers, because of qualified immunity, police are never held accountable for mistakes they make, or indeed, egregious overstepping of their uh their boundaries. But let me say this. Because the, the consequences are so dire, because oftentimes they're life and death, because they're recorded, because we have to witness it, and because it doesn't affect certain communities, they're able to turn a blind eye to it. Now let's swap it out. Let's say 1% of pilots are um, bad apples. Bad apples. Okay. It's a phrase that we've heard used sure, in a lot of sure, these stories. Sure, sure. Um, now, all of a sudden, it's everybody's problem. And you get this with the with the FAA, I believe it is, right? The Federal Aviation Administration, I want to say. There's no such thing as 1%. There's no such thing as bad pilots, period. You can, that is not a job where yeah, you- You're not a pilot anymore. Once yeah, you've that's proven it. that you're a bad one, then okay. That's you, it, you right? You don't do this commercially right. anymore. Exactly. Um, when it comes to like doctors and, and you, you can, you can lose your medical license. You can be disbarred if you're a bad lawyer, all of these things, there's all this sort of oversight, but you know, for policing, we've given them carte blanche to write their own rules, to insulate themselves from the consequences of their actions. Qualified and immunity and oftentimes crazy. it's black people, black and brown communities and poor communities that end up bearing the brunt of police violence. Um, and, uh, we end up incarcerated or getting involved in, a, in a, the carceral system in this country um, because of bad actors or because of a, a litany of other circumstances. And that shapes outcomes, not just for individuals, but for communities. Let's add one more thing. I know I'm on a, my soapbox here, no, but, no, but follow please. me. I'm going to add one more thing here. Um, oftentimes, the recruitment tactics for police are in such a way that they attract people who have a predisposition toward violence. If your police recruitment video shows everybody in a tank riding through a war zone, jumping out and shooting, you know, in the practice fields or whatever, hashtag stop cop city, um, folks jumping out, shooting I guns. It's too late. I think they already. No, nah, it's not. It's never too late. They already moved forward. No, nah, it's that. never too late. I had a conversation with Yanaja Halon Wolf uh, recently on the BIN Daily podcast, and uh, they're still some some movement okay there so keep very, the faith everyone discouraging story keep the faith everyone but um you know if they're playing this like death metal music in the background and they have like the punisher logo you know that you might be attracting a violent sort of person to to engage in this add to that the systemic and historical um composition of police which is overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male um 
and it doesn't it's not an accurate reflection of the population and so you end up with this toxic mix of folks who are deciding what policing is but because that's what we're used to because this is what we've seen then we find it hard to challenge that so the one percent of police um is too high a number and i believe that that's even too i you you seem like you might have had some data on that it's close to ten thousand officers would be one percent okay so you're talking about ten thousand potential murderers drug traffickers okay. this, kidnappers again in this high bad, bad actors let's make it a little bit more general right. and a little bit more palatable but that's ten thousand though that's not a couple hundred that's not a couple yeah right because one bad pilot would be too many yeah ten thousand possible bad actors should be way too many right and again this is a thought experiment i suspect that there are more than one percent you can just look at the the domestic violence uh the uh, that is reported for police officers that's reported right it's it's common knowledge that police officers are prone to domestic violence again these recruitment tactics tend to recruit people with a predisposition toward violence they want to beat them up they want to shoot them up they want to you know do this sort of stuff so i say all that to say rethinking policing was the order of the day still is very much so and one of the things that came from that rethink was this idea of community policing, right? In other words, we don't need to invest billions of dollars into policing. We can invest into programs that actually have a direct and proven impact on crime rates. Things like daycare, access to daycare has a direct effect on crime rates it is proven it is well documented buying another tank hiring more officers and giving them more badges and guns better training they've been better training since the 50s these things do not work they do not cause crime rates to go down daycares do how about that right so you you start to begin understand how a rethink access to daycare access to daycare, sure access to jobs Keep going. Access to land, access to capital, fair housing, food, yep. housing, medicine. Yep. yep. All the above. All of those Healthcare. things. Healthcare. Listen. Increase the likelihood that your neighborhood is safer. Not a hundred more cops patrolling your neighborhood. How about this? I will, I, for those listening, think of the safest neighborhood you know. The safest neighborhood you've ever been in. Just think of, imagine it. The platonic ideal. In your mind's eye, is there a police officer on every corner keeping it safe? You might not picture a police squad car at all. So what makes that neighborhood safe? The fact that nobody needs anything. What is the point of crime? Now, granted, there's going to be greedy people no matter what. That's part of the human race. We all have either had greedy moments or sometimes there's people who are just greedy. They want more than their fair share. We have people who are have their they're violent people. They're violent yeah, just agencies. like there are officers that are bad faith actors or bad actors. Yeah, that's a human condition. It's, yeah, human beings in general. There right. are some of us who do not have good intentions for other human beings, sadly. Sure, sure. But that neighborhood, critically, that neighborhood that you imagined wasn't safe because there's police everywhere. So the idea that increasing police presence and putting them in bad neighborhoods is going to somehow affect crime shows that you know full well, listening to us, you know full well that that is not an effective strategy. 
And you could start with, again, the programs that Q mentioned with, with healthcare, with, with job opportunities, with access to, to daycare, with access to fair housing, you know, et cetera, on and on. And once you start asking, well, who's going to pay for these things? Well, I, I know a, a group that is actively harming this community that has way more money than they know what to do with. And you're thinking about it wrong. You're thinking about public safety wrong. We can take the money from these police, put it into programs to where we don't need the police, and then have people do jobs where they don't have to carry a murder weapon. I got to imagine that at some point, an officer has to come to term with the fact that I'm carrying a weapon. Its only function is to end a life. This is not... I, I hope I never have to end a life. If if I if I lived a hundred years and never had to end a life, so, that'd be better. So here's the problem. I think the normal control officer, yeah, the normal control in this experience. No, no. I mean the normal human thought would be that. Right? It's the same with our military. We we are kind of sensitized to the idea that we ship and fly over to other countries and murder people. Because in whatever the given circumstance, they're the bad guy. It's okay to murder the bad guy. Yeah. Our country has done a very good job of giving our police officers a bad guy. Mm. So they are not thinking, I hope I don't have to. No, there's a bad guy that I need to do this to, mm. to protect and serve. Well, how about this? How about this? So once they've become super duper indoctrinated and they're police first and not people first, right? Because we've had that conversation on the show. That may be true, but what I'm talking about is human beings who happen to have that occupation and have not, let's say, maybe they have not crossed over fully into like, I'm a cop, even when I'm yeah, but at I don't the even, pool. I don't even, I don't even mean in extreme cases though, right? Like you said, the type of person that's, that's, that gravitates to that job, even with the purest intentions of serving and protecting, that idea has to be from some, somewhere, protecting us from okay. someone. Fair, fair. So how about this? I have, and this is, this is perhaps my mistake. I have a global view now of police, as do you, mm -hmm. Q. Um, I've been to, I couldn't even tell you how many countries around this planet of ours. And I have been to all of 50 of the states, U.S. states. So I've seen how that looks, you know, in the same tactics and they're sitting on the highway clocking and all this sort of stuff, right? But elsewhere in the world, recruitment tactics are very different. You know, um, a gun, the gun part of the job is very, 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 very secondary. The primary part of the job is helping people, being a presence. And, you know, you're on the way to, you know, to the purse napping, if you realize that there's a person, a woman crossing the street and she needs help because she's in danger, you might stop and help the woman cross the street before you continue after the purse napper. You, you prioritize things versus over here, if the, the purse napper, we need to execute this person. We need to, we need to take them down. We need, and this is bringing safety and justice. You know, it's, it's a different way of thinking about it. Right. I mean, you, you hear Americans talk about uh, nationalism. Mm -hmm. Not, we talk about it. And even the way we frame it, it's, it's false, even in that sense. Right. And those other countries, they see each other as countrymen. And countrymen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So citizen first countries sure. have this idea of 
actually protecting and serving each other. Yeah. We're all countrymen and women, no mm -hmm. matter the color of your skin, right? They're countrymen and women first, and then whatever needs to be the specific description. Mm -hmm. Here is absolutely different. You're black first. It's called African-American. You're, you're black first. Mm -hmm. You're not countrymen first. You're not countrywomen first. And in, and in a lot of cases, being black means criminal, means bad, means yeah. enemy, means the person that I'm protecting and, everyone else yeah. from. So that's what I'm saying. Even the purest of us has, been, has, has grown thing, up in this environment with yeah. skin that looks just like mine yeah. and yours. They've grown up in this environment. Yeah. Our country has made us the enemy before you even before you even go through the recruiting, before you go to academy, before you learn what this job means. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And other countries where the idea is we want these outcomes to not result in death, similar to the way that other countries react to mass shootings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Too many of our, of our fellow countrymen and women and or children died on this day. This will never happen again if we can help it. Let's so change let's it do now. Everything we can to change it right now. Right now. Yeah. Well, um, because again, I have that global view. I've seen how they, how police move in Hong Kong. I've seen how police move in New Zealand. I've seen how, you know, all different places around the world. Um, one of the things that I come back to on the show quite frequently is that I believe it's New Zealand where they have guns, the officers have guns, but they keep it in the trunk of their car. And it's not like they had to keep it in the trunk of the car because, you know, they were out of pocket and they, that's a new strategy, a new compromise. They keep it in the trunk of the car the same way you keep it jack and a spare tire or like it's fire just yeah just in house. case you need it yeah isn't that i don't i'm not gonna carry it with me it's heavy why i'm not gonna kill anybody kill somebody you know what i mean it's it's just crazy to think that way but over here again because we fully bought in because of copaganda since dragnet hit the tv shows in collaboration with the lapd and they were able to design the episodes and the cops were always the good guys and the bad guys were always doing this blah 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 and really taylor made taylor make a narrative for the the viewing public that has us seeing police as the super duper ultimate heroes and they're like almost these superhuman creatures that never make mistakes i know that in your in the front of your mind you can conceive of people making mistakes as officers but the fact is is that we've given them so much freedom that their mistakes it, we don't even question it too, as a, too free yeah exactly but you and, teased a positive exactly case study for exactly this. so community give, community give policing community policing this comes from the new york times what happened when a brooklyn neighborhood policed itself okay this is one of the ideas that comes from defunding the police right we can still have officers but community policing is a way to rethink policing so i'll read um and a side note similar programs are underway in oregon in denver uh, Rochester, New York, and other places, according to the Center for American Progress, a left-leaning think tank. And the, the group estimated that almost 40% of calls to police could be handled by community responders. Okay. All right. In Brownsville, the effort not only gives residents more say over what public safety looks like, but it can deter crime if people know there are more eyes watching. This comes from Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez. It's quoted as saying, a lot of people worry that if police systems are not fully active, crime will go up. He said, but the safety alliance has been thriving amid a positive trend in the 73rd precinct, Gonzalez said. In the first half of this year, homicides fell 50%, shootings fell 25%, and the rate of grand larcenies of automobiles also fell, even as it rose in other neighborhoods, he said. On, oh, sorry, one set of watching eyes belongs to Almond, 
who was a 47-year-old former gang member who spent more than 13 years in prison for a bank robbery. Now, he's, he's now the good guy, and he's helping uh, provide safety in his own community. All right. He returned to Brownsville in 2014. Um, his past, along with his calm, straightforward approach, helps him navigate conflicts. During one Safety Alliance week, he persuaded a man going into a bodega with a gun to give him the weapon and go home. The next day, that same man returned, but this time to volunteer. He spent all day squashing beefs and breaking up fights. So... Here's a case study in Brownsville, home of the brave. Shout out to MOP one time. I love small sample size. However, you cannot argue with the results. 50% decrease in shootings, 25% or in, in murders, 25% decrease in shootings. That's significant. So bear in mind that rethinking policing is something worth is a worthwhile endeavor. And then in freeing up the fiscal resources, you can invest in programs that actually do impact crime. Just, we're, just some food for thought, right?